Yehuda Geber with uh, another episode of Jewish History Sound Bites, and tonight being the yard site, Bez uh, Sivan of of uh, the Minchas Alazer, Reb Chaim Alazer Shapiro of uh, Munkach. So we'll speak about about this uh, quite dynamic and uh, fascinating figure and his role in uh, Eastern European Jewish life, especially in the interwar period. Um, he himself ends up in the city of Munkach. Um, he's a great-grandchild great great grandchild of the Bnei Saschar of Dinov, Rabbi Melech Shapiro, who actually was a Rav in Munkach for a while and had to leave uh, because... Um, because of a certain psak he gave about stuffing geese, which is a topic in itself. When we get to talk about Dinov and the Bnei Yisachar, we'll get around to that. So he actually was a rabbi in Munkach before he turned back, returned back to Galicia, to Poland, and, and became uh, the Rav again in Dinov. And his son was Rebbe Lazar of Lansut, actually buried right next to the Rapshitzer in, in, in the Lansut, basically, when we go to... Um, Lansut, it's usually a frequent stop on our tours, being that it's right next to Lezhensk, which everyone goes to, um, and Lansut, which has a gorgeous shul from the uh, 17th century. So we go nearby to the cemetery where the Remeftali of Rapshitz is buried, and then right next to it is this you know, very unknown Rebbe who has quite a lot of visitors because he's right next to the Rapshitzer in Lansut, and that is Rebbe Lazar of Lansut, the son of the Neisachar, and he's the great-grandfather of the Minchas Elazar, um, who's Reb Chaim Elazar Shapiro of Munkach, who's known by his, his uh, halachas farm, Shailas Uchuvis Minchas Elazar, who's named after him. He's essentially named after him. The name Chaim is added on later when he's sick as a child, but he's named Elazar, uh, really, um, after his great-grandfather. But his grandfather, Reb Shleim of Munkach, becomes the first Munkach Rebbe, and then his father... Uh, the Darke Tshuva, one of the most uh, all-encompassing, tremendously wide, um, broad scope uh, pirushim on halacha, on Yeridea, Darke Tshuva, which literally quotes from basically every sefer out there. That was the Menchus Elazar's father. And um, it's a legacy of genius, a legacy of, of wide Torah knowledge. And um, he definitely had that aspect to him as well. So he grows up, even though he's born in Strizov in, in, in Galicia, in Poland, he grows up in Hungary, in, in Munkac. The question is, is it Hungary or not? So the city of Munkac actually is Hungary when, when the Menchus grows up there. It's in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. In the interwar period, it's in Czechoslovakia. It's in a region called Karpatorus which uh, was Carpathian Rounds, Rus, Ruthenian, tribal, um, ethnic origins, different than Hungarian, different than Czech. It's kind of its own ethnicity in that region till today. So it was in Czechoslovakia. And then currently today, it's Mukachevo in the Ukraine, in the south um, eastern Ukraine. Um, just just to point out that the town itself did not move. It's really the borders of the countries around it that, that moved, which is quite a common phenomenon of Jewish life in those times. There's even an old Jewish joke that a guy says, you know, he grew up in one town, 
he had his his um one town, one country. He had his bar mitzvah in another one. He he uh, he went to school, went to yeshiva in a third place, and he got married in a fourth place. And he never left the town that he was born in ever in his life. The reason being that the common and quite frequent border changes of that time um, um, uh, created that uh, reality in Jewish life. So Munkach faced that, and that actually played a role in the Minchas Elazar's wife, because while he did like the Hungarian government, the pre-World War I Hungarian government, he did had a great distaste for the Czechoslovakian government, and that's another issue in itself. So he grows up in Munkach, and he, again, is a great Talmud Chacham, a great genius. He's one of the most prolific writers of his time. He writes literally Sfarim on the, covering the entire gamut of, of, of Jewish thought, on, on Tefillah, on Hasidus, on Halacha, on Shas, on Drush, on Kabbalah, on everything. He wrote loads of Sfarim covering every topic, plus more. <coughs> and... Um, that was one aspect of his personality. When his father dies, he becomes the Rav of Munkach, and I'm sorry, the Rebbe of Munkach, the Hasidic Rebbe of Munkach, and shortly afterwards he becomes the Rav of Munkach as well, like his father. So he really holds two positions, which is kind of a legacy of his great-great-grandfather, the Bnei Saskar, to achieve a rabbinical position and not just a Hasidic Rebbe position. And he had the dual position. By the way, that was also the legacy of the Rapshitzer, and that's why in Sanz, and their grandchildren, they also had a, they took the rabbinical position, which is really a story in itself of the change that took place in Galicia Hasidus um, following the passing of the Chais of Lublin, but really that's uh, veering from our topic. The, the, um, the uh, Minchas Elazar unfortunately did not have children um, for many, many years after not having children. He followed a custom, which is a tragic custom, but a, a certain reality of, of Jewish life that after not having children with quite a few years, he divorced his wife and married a second wife, hoping to have children with the second one. Um, he definitely, it was a tragic occurrence in his personal life. He mourned his first wife when she died, even though he had already been divorced from her. And um, with his second wife, he had a one daughter, an only daughter, um, um, and that was his only child that he had. He also was a moil. He enjoyed being the moil and the sandik at the same time, and very often he would also read the brachis of the bris. He did the whole ceremony at once, and he came quite known and hungry for doing, for doing that. In his writings, he also took on something that was quite uncommon for Rebbe's at the time, in fact, there's probably no, no other known instance for Rebbe's doing this in their writing, is that he wrote um, textual corrections based on manuscripts, Hagois of Kisveyad, and he wrote against forgeries, meaning he would disprove uh, uh, things that were assumed to be true, and there's quite a few examples of this. He joined the bandwagon with famous forgeries, he, the, the Samim Reish, and the Genizas Charsain, which is a famous Geniza that was discovered during World War I, and as if it were a Geniza, with writings of the Baal Shem Tev and the Magid and early leaders of Hasidus, which many, many across the spectrum believed um, and is 
a forgery, and the Minchas Elazar, along with the Ger Rebbe Demir Emes, actually, um, were within the Hasidic camp itself. They proved it to be a forgery. And that was something he very much involved himself in. He was a Kanoi. That was, that was, that's probably his biggest characteristic. He was sharp. He spoke very quickly, very sharply. He had a biting uh, humor and a, both a very, very sharp way of criticizing anyone who disagreed with him, whether they were secular, religious, or even Hasidish. He did not spare anyone. He spoke against everyone. He was a tremendous zealot, a Kanoi. And he fought for quite a few things, one of them being minhag. He was a big kanoi about Jewish custom, especially Hungarian Jewish custom, although he, he himself did not look at himself as a Hungarian. Very interesting. He saw himself as a Galicia Jew. He spent quite a bit of time in his youth in Galicia, and he spent time with the big rebbes of Galicia and Poland, in Alexander and Radomsk also, but also in Chartkiv and other areas of Galicia. And he he, identi- he even wrote in Minchas Elazar, it's printed, that um, I see myself as a Galiziana Yid, and I don't identify so much as a Hungarian Jew. Take it how you want that, but that's what the Minchas Elazar said about himself. And um, he was against any change in Jewish custom. He was anti the Neolog movement, which was the predominant movement within Hungarian Jewry at the time, from the 19th century, which was a form of progressive Judaism, um, not exactly reform, not exactly traditional Orthodox, I guess kind of like conservative in America, but not really. It was different, and he went fire against them um, for changing all these things in tradition. He, he, um, he had many enemies. People tried to stop him from whatever he's doing. He was recognized officially by the government as the Rav of Munkac in Hungary. And according to Hungarian law, you had to pass a certain minimal level of knowledge of Hungarian and secular subjects in order to be licensed as the rabbi. And they would claim to the government that he did not know. He was such an old-fashioned rabbi that he didn't know. And they, he was very often, not very often, several times required by the government to sit for these exams, and which he always passed. So he definitely had a knowledge of Hungarian and some basic uh, subjects. He opened the yeshiva, which was rather a first for rebbes in Hungary to do that. Other rebbes followed later on, but he had a yeshiva named Arke Tshuva after his father. Um, but the yeshiva was very traditional, very... Very no, of course, no secular subjects. He railed against the Ger Rebbe's yeshiva in Warsaw, the Masifta of Warsaw, which had secular subjects and was recognized as an educational institution by the Polish government, which is a story in itself. Very interesting, the Masifta of the Ger Rebbe in Warsaw, and he went, he spoke against it, and he would, he was willing to take on even someone like the Ger Rebbe, who was the undisputed leader of Polish Jewry during that time. He also had something unique about him, is that he. He had a very close relationship with Eretz Yisrael, even though he was extremely anti-Zionist, which we'll get to in a second. But he ran the Koyal of Bate Munkach. He furthered and built the neighborhood of Bate Munkach in Yerushalayim, which is not far from Machna Yehuda and Nachlaot in Yerushalayim. He also maintained a relationship with great Sephardi leaders in Eretz Yisrael, which is, again, unique amongst the Rebbes of the time. Almost no Rebbes in Poland or Hungary did that. He maintained a correspondence with several Sephardi leaders, the most famous of which was Reb Shloyme Eliezer Elefandri, who was known as the Saba Kadisha, who was a rabbi in, 
I believe, Turkey, later on in, 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 in Syria, in his later years, he lived in Eretz Yisrael. The Menachas Elazar actually came on a visit to Eretz Yisrael in 1930 and was here for the Saba Kadisha of Shalem Eliezer Lafandri's passing. Um, and uh, some have attributed all kinds of messianic uh, um, um, notions to to uh, that meeting. The Menachas Elazar in general spoke in very messianic terms. He always spoke about the Chevli Mashiach and the Geula, which was one of the reasons of his opposition to Zionism. Uh, they were trying to push the Geula on their own, and he believed that it could only come from, from uh, divinely ordained uh, means. Now, he, like we said, he fought against uh, quite a few. He had a lot of battles, a lot of wars. We said about the Masifta. In, in, in Warsaw and uh, the Gerebbe. We mentioned the Neologs, but that was only the first few. He had a long protracted battle against Zionism in general, and especially religious Zionism of the Mizrahi, and even, or even especially actually, of the Agudas Yisrael. He refused to join any organization that would unite Jews from all over. He wanted to be his own territory. He was very protective of his own territory, which was also about his his battle with the, the Rebbe of Yisachar Dev of Bells, when the Rebbe of Yisachar Dev of Bells uh, was on the run from Galicia. He left Bells during World War One. He ended up in Munkach, and uh, this would seem to be encroaching on the Menchus Elazar's territory. There began a long and quite bitter a fight between Munkach and Bells at the time. So he definitely wanted to keep his own territory to himself. Agudas Yisrael was the antithesis to that. It was uniting Jews from all over together, and he felt they were compromising on all fronts in regards to Zionism and other areas, and he was extremely anti the Agudas Yisrael. In fact, he one of the things he did not like about the Agudas Yisrael was that it was the leaders were Yeki German Balabatim, laymen, uh, and the ones who founded it, and they, they ran it to a certain extent, specifically Rabbi Yaakov Rosenheim, and then um, one of his friends, I believe his first name was Wolf, although I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, Wolf Pappenheim. And the, the, um, the, uh, those were the two of the early leaders of the Agudas Yisrael. And the Minchas Elazar, with his heavy Hungarian accent, he said, Haim veheim layudi deruchai. Haim and Haim, meaning Pappenheim and Rosenheim, they don't know my ways. And he was paraphrasing a Pasuk from Tehillim that we say on Friday night, that that's, that, 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 encapsulated, that summarized his relationship with Agudas Yisrael. And he was very, he had very, a lot of good quips with those lines. He was very sharp and very quick and with initials and, and Rasha Tevis and all kinds of Phrases and words and psukim, he was fascinating. He was brilliant with it. He wrote it in his farm. He used to say it in his drushes, and many, many became famous. Probably his most famous one is that he said that the Gemara in Gitin says, Akamsa u Barkamsa Because of Kamsa and Barkamsa, Yerushalayim during the times of the second base Hamikdash was destroyed. And he said, You know what Kamsa is? Kamsa stands for the enemies of the Jewish people today, according obviously to his view. Kamunistin, Mizrachistin, Zionistin, and Agudistin, the four groupings which he felt were the greatest threat. And um, communists, um, um, the, the Mizrahi, the religious Zionists, Zionists themselves, of course, and Agudistin. And he actually said that the Aguda might even be the worst because they think they're kosher. He says they're like 
the the what Chazal say about the pig, the chazer, that it sticks out its hooves and claims to be kosher. That's how extreme he was about the Agudis Yisrael. And again, this was taking on the Ger Rebbe. The Ger Rebbe Demiramis was the leader of Agudis Yisrael in Poland. He was the undisputed leader of the Jewish people, especially in Poland in the interwar period. He was taking on big people and he was way down in Hungary in, uh, in the city of Munkac. But he was very sharp and uh, he was not worried about making more enemies. He did what he believed was the correct way and what was to be true. Um, he he uh, married off his daughter in um, in Munkach in what came to be one of the most famous weddings in the interwar period in Poland. It's his only daughter, and it's the Munkach Rebbe, and it's Hungary. You know they they like to 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 you know play up the the party, especially if it's the Rebbe's event. And um, so much publicity went into it that the, the police, the Czechoslovakian police, had to keep coming for crowd control. And journalists covered the event. Tens of thousands of people came from all over Europe. And one of the journalist crews that came was actually an American TV crew. And that's why we even have footage of the Munkach Rebbe, the Minchas Elazar, by the wedding. They even explained to the Munkach Rebbe that Jews in America can see what he's saying. And you can actually look up the footage online. It's incredible. He says, in America, they can see what I'm saying. Then let me tell you, Yidin in America, Jews of America, keep Shabbos. You should make sure to keep Shabbos. And you see the chuppah there and the klezmerim playing after the chuppah. You actually hear him, again, with the heavy Hungarian accent, saying the brachas of his daughter under the chuppah. And um, it, was quite an, it was quite an event. Um, the what an incredibly side point to that event is that this American film crew, once they're there, they film daily life of the Jews in Munkach there. And what we have from that is an amazing document of Jewish life in Munkach before the war. They have a cheder, a, a school for young boys with their Rebbe, davening with them in the morning. And they have all sorts of events, including a very, very famous scene of a group of of children associated with one of the Zionist groups and schools in Munkach singing Hatikva. Incredibly enough, the reason that we have that 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 footage is because of the Minchas Elazar's wedding. The Minchas Elazar, the great anti-Zionist, it, it, because of him, we have one of the only known um, uh, video footage of children singing Hatikva before the war. Uh, an amazing, amazing irony of history, actually. Uh, so much so that Yad Vashem just produced a documentary called Yalde Munkach. Ex- excellent documentary. It's recommended. And um, about 45 minutes long. And they actually identified some of the children singing and interviewed them and followed them through their lives and asked them about life in Munkach before the war. So you had all types of Jews definitely living in Munkach. And the Minchas Elazar himself, in his writings, you see him railing against the Zionist school in the city. He was very well aware that even in his own city, there were many Jews not listening to him, and they were following other paths. Um, there's definitely more to say about Munkach. We'll save it for another uh, episode, another uh, another podcast. This is just a little bit about the Minchas Elazar, Lekavit, his yard site, Tzchusa Yogin Aleinu, or as they say in in Hungarian Hasidus, Chisa Yuga and Ulaini. Um, and um, this was 
Yehuda Geber. You can um, you can eat, reach me at ygebss at gmail.com, not only for tours, but also f- if you want to know sources. This is a podcast. I don't mention all the sources all the time. It's lighter stuff. If anyone has a question, please feel free to email me. You could subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Don't miss an episode of our podcast. If you enjoy, give us a good rating. Share it with your friends and family. And you can follow us on Twitter and we at, at J Soundbites. And we hope you enjoy.